0: Good morning. We have been talking about fellowship, life together under the Word. And for the past two weeks, we've been talking about the nature of fellowship and what that looks like. And at Three Rivers Community Church, we call that the radical life abiding in Christ and arising from, being connected to the root source of Jesus Christ and by His grace and His inworking Spirit, producing the fruit of the gospel. And today, the third component of that is collision with culture. Collision with culture. We've talked about communion with God. We've talked about community with each other. And today, we're going to talk about collision with culture. Collision with culture. And to be very honest with you, I'm going to be all over the place this morning. I'm going to start in Ezekiel chapter 36. Uh, If you would honor me um, by joining me there, it would be an honor for us to look at that passage together. Uh, And and let's just, um, if you don't mind, stop for a second and seek the Lord's favor and help. Um, So as you're turning, uh, be in an attitude of prayer. And uh, I'm going to pray for us and uh, and invite the Lord to, to take our time. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, for the glory of the Father, we ask now, Holy Spirit, that you will come and be our counselor, our helper, and our teacher, and the one that that gifts us to minister to one another, that we may minister the gospel to the world. Destroy strongholds, please. Tear down unbelief. Destroy any sense of condemnation. Free us to abide in, rest in Jesus Christ. And to reap the glorious fruit of the gospel. We ask this in Jesus' name for His glory and for our joy. Amen. Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, Fort Worth, Texas. My last final exam. And one of the things I appreciated about this particular professor was we finished our final exam in the chapel in worship. You need to write moments. Like this that I'm about to describe to you down. This is the reason the good discipleship tool for Christians is journaling. Because you need to call on these moments when you're dry. You need to call on these moments when the Lord seems distant. And be reminded that He is not distant. As the psalmist said, although you walk through, the, through Baca, the valley of dryness, you will go from strength to strength as we worship together we didn't know we were going to be coming to Rome we thought we are going somewhere else I had no intention of coming back to Rome or this region in particular And the mission this morning is to tell you all the reasons why. But as we worship together in that chapel, the Lord spoke very clearly to me. Ezekiel 36, 37, and 38. In this passage, the Lord gave me a picture in that moment, in this passage, a very supernatural moment. As a matter of fact, I just sat down. I couldn't even sing. I couldn't do anything. I just sat down and sort of in a dumbfounded state. Uh, This passage has been a solace and uh, a reminder also that what He's called us to do, He hasn't called us to produce it he's called us simply to abide obey him tell story and he will do for us what he did in ezekiel chapter 37 you see what has happened is the people of god have been in exile for their disobedience They have not loved the Lord their God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, nor their neighbor as themselves. And the Lord did what He promised them He would do for His covenant people, and that is He would discipline them. And through Ezekiel the prophet, the Lord in chapter 36 gives the promise of the new covenant and the promise that He will bring His people back. And Jesus preaches from this passage when He preaches to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And then he ends chapter 36 with this glorious promise. Thus says the Lord God, This also I will let the house of Israel ask me to do for them. Those words should. I've been like this all morning. I'm probably not going to make it uh, through my notes. Thank you, faith. Thank you. Those words should stop you in your track. Thus, I will let the house of Israel ask me to do for them. If you had not read your Bible, you you may not be aware that if you're in Christ, you're of Abraham. That's, that's, That's us. Okay? This I will let you ask me to do for them. You mean you're going to let me come and ask you to do this for me? Do you come to the Father like that? He loves to give good gifts to His children. Jesus said, though you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your Father in heaven, if if your children come and they ask for bread, will you give them a rock? No. If they come and ask for fish, you give them a snake? You who are evil, not to give good gifts to your children. How much more your father in heaven? This I will let the house of Israel ask me to do for them. Give them more stuff. To increase their people like a flock. Like the flock for sacrifices. Like the flock at Jerusalem during her appointed feast. So shall the waste cities be filled with flocks of people. And they will know that I am the Lord. The Lord made a new covenant promise of the Great Commission here. That He would gather His people. Thank you, baby. Thank you, Bubba. Um, The promise was... That I'm going to put a new heart in you and I'm going to put my spirit in you and I'm going to cause you to walk in my way. I'll save you. And it ends this chapter with this glorious promise. I'm going to let you ask me to do this for you, and that is to, to, to multiply your people. I'm going to let you ask me to increase people like a flock, like the flock for sacrifices, like the flock at Jerusalem during her appointed feasts. comma so. Here's the reason. So that the waste cities will be filled with flocks of people. I'm going to bring my people. I've sent them away to refine them. To fix them. To repair them. To discipline them. And in His good time, I'm going to bring them back. And I'm going to fill the waste cities with them. So that the cities are filled. And then they know I am the Lord. The Lord gave me that passage and said, that's why you're going. It's so that my people may be increased. Not so that you can have people, but so that the waste cities will be filled. And then they're going to know, I am the Lord. You're irrelevant to the equation. You disobey, I'll replace you. If you notice what's next, chapter 37, we sing songs about this in vacation Bible school if you grow up doing that kind of stuff. Them bones, them bones, them dry bones, right? So what does the Lord do for Ezekiel? He gives him a visual of what he's about to do. He says, Ezekiel, go out and see this valley full of dry bones. Here's what I want you to do to him, right? I want you to set up a ministry stand, right? And I want you to start ministering to the dry bones. Is that what he does? Ezekiel? Can these bones live? Lord, you know. What does the Lord say to do? Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you and to cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So what did he do? He prophesied and guess what happened? Just exactly what God said is he raised up a mighty, army of his people when we talk about colliding with culture i want you to be clear on what i'm saying i'm not talking about addressing or fixing cultural ills we can't do that i'm talking about repairing the broken image of god and man And the reconciling of mankind back to God so that Holy Spirit, by means of supernatural, sanctifying power, a resurrected will, putting a sword to sin, and the working of His saints and community will begin to disciple His adopted people into the culture of His kingdom. When you hear collide with culture, I'm talking about addressing the missing component of the people who are not in the kingdom. And it's not that they're better people morally. That's not their missing component. They're not missing a moral framework. I'm talking about the missing component of their understanding that they're divorced from Eden. From the fall onward, mankind has been enslaved to the evil one. I don't know that we fully get the level of our being cut off from Eden. Man has been enslaved to the evil one. And man in the garden, our parents chose for us the worship of Satan over the worship of the triune God of the universe. And our parents chose images and creatures. They chose various other forms of worship, which is satanic in origin rather than God. And in the fall, man died. The day you eat of it, you will die. Man died toward God, they died toward each other, and we died toward creation. And as a result, mankind has been abusing worship, been abusing each other in the creation ever since. And God has placed this little church right in the middle. Of a bunch of worshipers. Everyone here worships. The question isn't do they worship. The question is who or what do they worship. And, and I want to say to you. Our call. Is not to fix their worship. I'm going to tell you in a minute what our call is. Maybe a better way to say this is that Rome is full of Idolatries. Many of them wear Christian t-shirts, have Christian tattoos, go to Christian schools, maybe got saved at a Christian Booger Game Olympics, right? I got saved 23 times at those. <laughs> There's probably some of y'all in here too that got saved 23 times at Christian Booger Game Olympics, right? And thus then christened all their activities as Christian. Some of our other idolatries maybe are not so cloaked in fake Christian tones, but they are idolatries and they are worship of demons nonetheless. I think what's interesting to note is in Leviticus chapter 17, the Lord was preparing them to go into the land. And he says this really strange thing to them because the Lord knows where they're going and what they're doing, and so he's Helping to root out and and prepare them to go in and worship Him, to love Him and not do the other stuff. And He tells them, even if you kill game in the field, don't gut it and bleed it there, lest you worship goat demons like they do. You guys read that recently? That's kind of strange, isn't it? Because obviously that there was a way in which these people of Canaan were worshipping demons. They were worshipping people. They had many idols. Unless they get into the habit of doing what they did, the Lord said, don't even do that to it there. Go ahead and take it to the temple so the priest can help you. And the blood can be thrown on the altar so that you're not worshipping goat demons too. Meaning that idolatry is very subtle. It's very subtle. So much so that don't even gut your game in the field. Just go ahead and go, go there. Just take care of it there so you're not doing what they were doing. Mankind's idolatries are as diverse as the villages, towns, cities, and countries that make up the globe. I've got, If you're looking at the notes, I've got tons of examples there and a long quote that I'm not going to read this morning. Just to say this, this morning. Our town and our world as a whole is in the throes of idolatry in so many ways. And what's missing is that they're not caught up into the grand story of the gospel. And their various Forms of idolatries are just byproducts of the divorce from Eden. From the fall, from being cut off from God. They've been cast from Eden and rather than living with God in the story of the glorious reconciling work of Jesus. They are content to worship demons with culturally acceptable idols. And what I've asked for this week is that the Lord would 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 help us to uncover those for them. I think maybe probably most of you, if you're in here today, you've seen many of those things. And maybe you're like me. You still wrestle with some of them because it's hard not to succumb to the culture you live in, right? It's hard not to give in to the air you breathe on a daily basis. And maybe the Lord needs to uncover some of that in me and you and some of us. But out there, our town. Our world has not been caught up into the story of the glorious reconciling work of Jesus and they're content to worship demons with their culturally acceptable idols. It's far too easy to worship idols in our context. It's easier to worship idols than it is to live out and live in the grand story of the gospel. Let me put a Narnian spin on it for you because I'm a fan of children's books. Our world is contented to live in Finchley, totally unaware that there's a Narnia they've been divorced from and can live in again. Say it another way. As C.S. Lewis would say, they're content to eat mud pies in the slum because they can't imagine a holiday at the sea. And if you eat enough mud pies, you'll destroy yourself and you'll lead others to destroy themselves. And think the whole while that they're good and all is well. You're doing it your way, free of constraint, not realizing you're enslaved eating mud pies. You see, social ills are symptoms of the fact that they're divorced from Eden And that they've delighted in the enemy and his demonic hordes. The various means of worship offered by the demons. And have lived in death and destruction with the illusion that they are like God knowing good and evil. So when we collide with culture, know this. This is primarily a gospel issue. This is primarily the grand story of the gospel. So how do we collide with our culture? Well, I'm not bringing you a list of ministry ideas. Because the collision with the culture has to start with the fact that there has been a fall and mankind is not aware of the fact that they're eating mud pies and that it's not good for them. They've missed it. They're blinded, they're blinded from the reality that there's a grand story of God, that they were made to live in the supernatural, face-to-face communion with the triune God of the universe. And therefore, mud pies taste awesome. And for those of us who look at that, we say, how, how can you think life like that is good? And they're like, but they're mud pies. Try a mud pie for yourself. Like, no. I have a holiday at the sea. The point is not the pie. The point is the fact they don't even know there's a holiday for them to enjoy. And so, I don't want to give you a list of ministry ideas. I want us to understand that the call to Ezekiel to build the flock, which by the way, I think it's cool to take a look at what God's done in our church, is He's called people to us and sent them all over the world. He has saved people. He's mobilized them through Floyd County. He's mobilized them to the world. He's filling the waste cities. And the goal isn't to do things better. The goal is to prophesy to the dead bones the glory of the gospel. That's the goal. is to tell them of Narnia. To tell them of the holiday at the sea. That that story may awaken their dead soul and their blind eyes to see, this isn't good. That's where I was made for. It's a gospel issue. So where do we start? Number one, here you go. We have to tear down strongholds. Tear down strongholds. Listen, man. When we talk about strongholds, I want you to understand that this, this idea of strongholds in the, in the Bible is not bad habits. It's not things we do that are bad for us. Strongholds are demonic lies that rob people of the knowledge of who God is. Second Corinthians 10:1 to 5. I Paul myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I am who I am. Wait. Huh. Dyslexia got the best of me. I'm in a hurry. I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away, beg you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For... The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds, period. And then this next sentence defines what a stronghold is. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. One of the chief things we have to do in our town is tear down the strongholds of unbelief. And the ideas that are contrary to the knowledge of who God is in Jesus Christ. And guys I'm telling you primarily that is a spiritual war. The next chapter over in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 12 to 15. Paul goes on to say and what I'm doing I will continue to do. In order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. Let me read that again. And what I am doing will, and what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Do you get the magnitude of that statement? Paul's talking about preachers, ministry people, and he says they are having you think that they're working on the same terms we are, but they're false apostles. Why? Because Satan himself is disguised as an angel of light. Guys, I'm telling you in our town, if you talk to the average non-churchgoer, their view of Jesus has been radically skewed by people claiming to know Christ and speaking errantly on Christ. I spent my teenage years running from the gospel because of the errant stuff spoken to me about Jesus. Jesus. And so one of our tasks is to tear down unbelief in the hearts of people because they know wrong things about the nature of God. A couple of things to, to, to think through here. Number one, use apologetics well. And you're like, I don't even know what that word means. I'm so sorry. It means defend the gospel. And you want to know how to do that? Come see me. I will help you. I've got a class you can come take. And post, it, I'm sorry. You can take it for free, okay? Just come see me. I will get you in the class. But learn. Apologetics is no silver bullet. The only silver bullet is the gospel. But it is a tool to tear down strongholds, false concepts, false ideas, false beliefs that are demonically generated, keeping people blind. Second Corinthians 4 One to six, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. There's a spiritual struggle for the lives of those people who do not believe. And we can help tear some of those down with right tools. Tear down strongholds. Put on the armor of God. Man, do you understand Satan hates you? Do you understand we're fighting a spiritual battle and the evil one shoots fiery darts of unbelief at God's people? That's why Paul says, take the shield of faith. You understand this is a spiritual struggle. This is not a physical battle. The evil one comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Many are enslaved to him. And we need the armor of God to fight this battle. We have to have salvation, righteousness, truth, readiness, faith. By the way, we put that on in prayer Ready to go to war and we take the sword of the Spirit, which is the gospel, the word of God, and we preach that in the strength of God. We also maybe need to recognize some of the strongholds we have. Things that maybe hold on to us and keep us from living, tasting, and enjoying the fullness of this kind of work. Point number two. The gospel is powerful to transform culture. This is something that it's like. I'm just be very honest with you. I wrestled all week long in telling you this because it's so no duh that I feel childish. I'm just confessing my sins. So or rebuke me later, okay? The gospel is powerful to transform culture. I mean, notice what Ezekiel did in that passage. The Lord said, "Prophesy. Tell them. Tell them what I told you to tell them." And did Ezekiel gather up the bones and stick them together and put, did Ezekiel do that work? No, he told them the word. And you know what God did? He raised the life, a bunch of dead bones. Why? Because the word, the gospel, is powerful by itself. It needs no help. The gospel doesn't need assistance. And if you've believed, you know that because it w- awakened you when you were dead in your transgressions and sins. That may be a most inopportune time. You're like, I don't know what just happened, but I believe. Yeah! And you know it's powerful. Listen, Romans 1.16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. It, The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Listen, the gospel needs no help. Jesus said all authority in heaven and earth had been given to him. So guess what? Don't fear. Jesus has all power. And this gospel message is powerful. Listen, man, this is a crazy thing. And I don't know any other way to say it. The gospel can enter dead, deaf ears and make them hear. It just can it did mine. And you're here, so I'm assuming it has yours. Otherwise, you have no reason to be here because it's kind of weird, right? The gospel is powerful. The prophetic preached gospel can awaken armies of dead people and fill away cities with gospel transformed souls who will also tell the gospel that will awaken lives. The gospel is powerful, y'all. And listen, I hope you feel liberated in that. You don't have to be on your A game. Ever. Jesus doesn't need your best presentation. Right? The powerful gospel preached will just awaken dead things. Give sight to blind eyes. It just does. It just does. Point number three. Listen, man, and I have more scripture here than I don't know, know what to do with. And so I'm just going to refer to some of it. Preach the gospel where you are and where you are sent providentially. Preach the gospel where you are and where you are sent providentially. In all these passages I listed here, Acts 1-8 is sort of the foundation. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And the rest of the book of Acts is the narrative of how that played out. And you see this progression of the gospel from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. And the book ends with Paul in prison in Rome, planning to go to Spain. And if you take a look at these passages, Acts 4, Acts 5, Acts 6, Acts 7, Acts 8, 9, 10, 11, 13, 16, and 21 through 28, you will notice something amazing happens. As they go out and tell the story, they collide with their culture, and guess what? God does. He saves lost people. And then this other amazing thing happens. Those who are preaching get in trouble. And you know what happens? That getting in trouble causes more of them to be jettisoned to other places. And everywhere they go, they go doing this amazing work. And this is where I'll pick up in Acts 8, 1-4. It's beautiful. And here's, here's what I want you to hear in this. Preach the gospel where you are and where you're sent providentially. Listen, man. The Lord, I truly... listen. I don't even know how to say this, to articulate this. You're not where you are today and where you will go to work tomorrow because you sovereignly placed yourself there. The Lord truly runs history and your life. And where you walk tomorrow is a providential activity, In which God is not blind, nor is it chance that you're there. And here's my point just where you are, tell this awesome gospel story. Seriously. Listen to Acts chapter 8, verse 1 to 4. Stephen has been stoned, okay? In Acts chapter 7, he was preaching the gospel to the God-fearers. And they killed him. And there was a great persecution, Acts 1, 8, 1, says, against the church in Jerusalem. And they were scattered through the regions. Verse 4, And those who were scattered went about preaching the Word. They just went about preaching the Word. They went about telling the story. Wherever they landed, they preached the Gospel. Acts chapter 11, verse 20. This is beautiful. Still referencing the scattering of the church because of Stephen's stoning. Acts chapter 11, actually beginning in verse 19, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. They just got scattered there, and what did they do? They preached Jesus. Verse 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. i give you an example. I'm continuing to see people respond to the gospel in my little context of work daily in this building. I do this little thing I used to when I taught Old Testament this is the first year I have taught Old Testament in a very long time. But I would have freshmen take a sheet of notebook paper and write down the gospel for me. And then, this is number eight. So in seven years of doing that, I've had to articulate the gospel. Guys, they're coming out of our churches. And so, this really cool phenomena happens. You just keep hearing it, keep hearing it, keep hearing it. Somewhere about the middle of 10th grade year, students will come back and say, You know, something happened in class that day because as we were talking about Jesus, my heart changed. And I got saved. What am I supposed to do with that now? Go tell your pastor. Go to him and tell your pastor. Here's my point. God placed me here, and He didn't tell me, "Leave here," meaning He wants me to go gospel on every soul that walks in front of my eyes. And you know what? He's saving saved people. And you know what? They go back to their little churches and start preaching to their youth groups. You know what's happening? Students are getting saved. Do you see the fruit of that sitting around you this morning? No, you don't, except for one or two. Because I don't want them coming here. I don't need to have anybody telling me I'm robbing their churches. i to just go back to your youth group. Go tell your pastor. Maybe he gets saved. I don't know. But go tell them the gospel. And here's my point is, if God has you in the middle of a, bunch of a bunch of people who say they're saved, do not fail to tell the story of the gospel. Because what I'm discovering is many generations in our town have not heard the gospel. Start where you are. Guys, this is totally, totally fun and a trip. Just start where you are. Tell the good news tell the good news. The Lord's in charge of the mission and He advances it in His time and His way. And let me tell you this, it is no waste of time to preach to churchgoers in Rome, Georgia. He promised in Ezekiel that He would raise up people to fill the waste cities. And by the way, contextually, He's talking to God-fearers, Jews who ought to know and he promises he will raise them up and mobilize them to fill waste cities. It's no waste of time to preach to churchgoers in Rome, Georgia. Lydia, Acts chapter 16, verse 11 through 15. She and her women friends gathered at a place where they were going to pray, to worship as God-fearers. They're going to church, synagogue. Paul shows up. The Lord opens her eyes to hear the gospel as he preaches the gospel. Guess what she does? Get saved. Guess what they do? Plant church at Philippi. It's no waste of time to preach to churchgoers in Rome. Just because they're in a cubicle next to you and they go to X, Y, and Z church, you need to make sure they hear this glorious grand story of Narnia, this place that they are called to be caught up into and live life by that here. Some of the challenges, deconstructing false notions of the gospel. Some of the challenges here as we collide with cultures, the gospel of morality, right? Right? Do all the right things, and then that makes you a Christian. I can't tell you, this is like daily occurrence that I hear the gospel of morality. This phenomenon is a result of attracting people with events, telling them inspirational stories, inviting them to pray a prayer, and sending them back to sermons on how to be a Christian. It doesn't work. It produces Pharisees. It produces legalism. What we've got to make sure is we tell them the grand story of this glorious gospel of Jesus Christ come to die in the place of us rebels so that if we repent and believe, He will transform us, give us a new heart and catch us up into the glorious story of the gospel so we live down here like life is up there as transformative agents of salt and light because we're Narnians living in Finchley. We're kings and queens. And we are to live like that here, with that glorious story of you were made for there. You're divorced from Eden, but we're clawing to get back there. Be ready to deconstruct the gospel morality, the gospel of politics. Jesus is not Republican, Democrat, Tea Party, Libertarian. He doesn't watch Fox and he doesn't watch CNN. He's king of the universe. Proverbs 21.1 The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He, that is the Lord, turns it wherever he will. Our president is not sovereign. W or O. Their hearts are like a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. And the Lord directs them to do what he wants them to do. That may make you uncomfortable. But that's reality. Republican isn't Christian. Right? And dude, people do that here. They think if you vote right, you must be a Christian. You can vote right and go. We've got little ears here. <sighs> Calm down. Man, deconstruct. These are satanic lies. They're they are motivated by the evil one to keep people blind. Let me tell you, Jesus is coming and He's going to crush them all. As he rescues us. The gospel of the church. I go to church sometimes. And I go and I take and I take and I take. I'm not a vital part of the work. What we've got to have happen is people recognize when Jesus saves me, he bursts me into his church and gifts me to serve them for the advance of the mission. The gospel of God. Right? Right? I believe in God. Well, what's his name? He's just God. Well, what does he believe? I don't know. What does he think? I don't know. He never judges me. He doesn't judge anybody else. And you shouldn't judge me either because, after all, that's not your job and that's not his job. He just loves me the way I am. And we're all shiny, happy people holding hands, right? REM reference. Now, when we talk about this gospel, we're talking about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God who creates all things, man in his image. Man's fallen. He's in a rebellious state and we're all dead in our transgressions and sins. But God sends the ultimate missionary, Jesus, to come and take on flesh and die in the place of rebels. So that He may transform them and He rises from the grave and offers salvation to all who will believe. And if you'll believe and repent, He'll put His Spirit in you, raise you from the dead, and cause you to live in His glory and make you a member of the church. Gift you to serve. And so on and so forth. Number five. Be ready to disciple new Christians into the church. Let me tell you something, man. You say, how do you know they become a Christian? You know. You know. I knew when I did. You know. It's pretty simple. Do you believe that? Yeah, dadgum, I think I do. Awesome. Let's start reading the Bible together. Right? It's not complicated. This is beautiful. This isn't rocket science. Right? Read Acts. People got saved and they knew they got saved. How do they know? Because they just got. it just happens. And I'm, I'm sorry if that confuses you. But it, if you tell somebody the good news and they believe it, you know they believe it. So, dude, I be, you believe that? Yeah, I believe that. What do I do now? Uh, let's start reading the Bible. Right? Get ready to disciple new Christians in the church. Dude, we're weird to non-Christians. This is strange. Why did you come do this? That guy's crazy. Now, why are you saying those? Why, do, what are, you, why are you eating? What's this? Right? Get them a Bible. Start reading it with them. Tell them why we do what we do. Take them to your connect group. Introduce them to new Christians. Right? Six and finally. Conduct all this in powerful prayer. And I'm talking to Matthew chapter 6 kind of prayer. Not the prayer that's done to be heard by men that Jesus says you've received your reward, but that kind where nobody sees, nobody knows, because it's your breath, it's your life. That kind of prayer that is done at the breakfast table while everybody's asleep. That kind of prayer that keeps you hanging on in the middle of the day when nobody else knows that you think your world's crumbling around you and you're barely hanging on by a thread, but all you can whisper is, Please help. And that's all you can manage. I'm talking about that kind of prayer. That's desperately leaning hard on the sustaining grace of God in that moment. That's the kind of prayer that generates a movement of the gospel in our town. And guys, let me tell you what will happen. When God starts saving people, in, in the gospel's collision with culture, you can disciple people out of eating mud pies. Because all of a sudden, it's like, that tastes bad. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Jesus awakened your taste buds, didn't he? Yeah, why do I, I don't know why I want to do that. Well, you know what? We can have a holiday at the sea for you. Does that make sense at all? This is primarily a gospel issue. and One of the things we have to start recognizing we need to do is in the power of the Spirit of God, tell the gospel story. It's powerful enough. And when we start doing that, Jesus will save sinners. And you know what? Then church will be kind of messy. Because, like, dude, people do weird stuff. They come here. They don't act like Christians. I know. Isn't that great? That's awesome. You know, teach them to act like Christians. Right? Listen, again, I told told you I felt foolish for saying this. But this is simple. Collision with culture is very simply a gospel issue. And we tell the gospel, God's going to save people. And listen, guys, it's perseverance in that work. You're in a hard place. You've got to undo so much bad teaching on so many hearts in order to say the right thing to them. Empowered by the Spirit, we collide with culture. And you know what I believe will happen? I believe that God will multiply our men like the flocks at Jerusalem during her appointed feast. And guess what? I don't think we're going to have the privilege and luxury of holding on to them. I think He will use them to fill the waste cities. So that they may know who is the Lord. If that's all we ever accomplish, we've been faithful. We've been faithful. And we'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Listen, guys, if you have that message, you have infinite power. Infinite power in the proclamation of the gospel. And you know what? He's worthy. He's worthy of us doing that. So where you are, just be faithful with the message and watch God save people. Watch God save people. Would you bow and pray with me? Father, um, I just want to ask now in Jesus' name for your glory and our great joy. (sighs) Cause us to love Jesus more than life. Father, I pray that you would cause us to see and savor more of Jesus Christ. Father, I ask that by your spirit you would drive away any condemnation. Father, I ask that you would not let anybody think they're in any way inferior because their work doesn't look like X or Y. But Lord, help us to just walk in obedience, abide in you, enjoy you, tell the gospel story. Lord, I pray that you would beat back the evil one who would seek to steal, to kill and destroy and rob peace and joy. Holy Spirit, I ask you now to fill your people And bring from them the fruit of lips that praise Your name. I ask You to empower and gift Your people to serve one another to the end of the mission of colliding with a culture separated from Eden. That they may speak of the mystery of this glorious gospel, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That they would taste the empowering of the Spirit to speak truth that they didn't know was buried down in there, that they could just tell it in power and authority. Would you build their faith and let them see and savor more of you? you? Would you just keep kind of your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just a minute? I know that sounds awfully Baptist. Please forgive me. But I don't want you to forget that this time is to minister to the Lord and minister to one another. I don't want you to forget that you've come today not necessarily just to get or be entertained, but you've come to minister. That there are souls who may be hurting today and the Lord has given you a word for them of encouragement. It's your job to go tell them. Maybe there's someone who needs prayer and the Lord has told you they need prayer. You go pray for them. So that in everything we are growing into the head who is Christ. He has gifted you for one another that we may go and do the mission so so that no one is discouraged when they leave and incapable of doing the mission. Would you do your part as the Lord would speak to you this morning and just obey? Just obey. Love on each other. Point each other to the head who is Christ. And have a sneaking suspicion that He'll send people away ready to tell the story.